A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The government's proposed policing bill has sparked outrage and frustration across the country. As night fell, the clashes began. Projectiles thrown at officers in riot gear. We saw several people with head injuries being helped from the crowd. With protests breaking out, tensions between the police and the communities they serve have been ratcheting up. The scenes at Mr Speaker in Bristol yesterday were utterly shameful. We saw criminal thuggery and disorder caused by a minority who put lives at risk. And our exceptional and brave police officers put themselves in harm's way to protect the public. With tensions overflowing, one woman is behind the push to increase police powers. Pretty Patel. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, what do we know about Priti Patel? In her first year as Home Secretary, she went on four dawn raids. One thing you might not know about Priti Patel is that she seems to have a penchant for police raids. As the new Home Affairs editor for The Times, Matt Dathan, explains... In September, I joined her on one of these dawn raids. It was in Brixton, and I was told to get there at 4am. We had a briefing with the police team there and the county lines and national lead as well. County lines is the system of trafficking drugs from one part of the country to another using organised criminal networks and, quite often, vulnerable teenagers who've been exploited by people higher up the chain. And this county line they were particularly targeting was one that operated from central London all the way to Horsham in West Sussex. This particular dawn raid was targeting the kingpin of this county line's network. Raids like this are the bread and butter in terms of targeting the head of the snake. Literally, the individuals that are running county lines, peddling drugs across the country. The team were briefing Pretty Patel on how much this guy was worth, how many youngsters he basically trafficked in terms of using them as uh, drug dealers on the streets. At the end of the briefing, even though it was so early in the morning, she was just so alive and excited, like a, like a little schoolgirl, I guess. And I, I guess I was the same as well. I was, it was my first dorm raid, so I was quite excited. But at the end of the briefing, the police officer said, all right, any more questions? And Pretty Patel replied... No, let's go get this geezer. And so, with the Home Secretary and the nation's media in tow, off they went. He lived with his mum at an address actually only five minute walk away from my flat. So as we were driving towards the address at uh, 4.45am in the morning, 
um, with the blue lights flashing. Well, it really is a dawn rain. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I was quite surprised actually they put on the blue lights. But anyway, it was just a bottom floor flat, basically a building of flats. She was in her ministerial car with her own bodyguards, but then she was stowed further back from the raid, so probably around about 30 to 40 metres away from the front door. And she had a bulletproof vest on, which we, we weren't given. As Home Secretary, she has two bodyguards on her and obviously there are a lot of other police around as well. She's very much at a safe watching distance rather than a diving in kind of a distance. She wasn't the one who was uh, the, with the battering ram um, <laughs> into the door. I think she would want it to. I think they call it the enforcer, where they, they ram the door. The mother actually came to the door. And what really struck me is the this guy they arrested was only 20. He lived there with his mum and his girlfriend. And his mum came to the door and um, was obviously very shocked at the sight of police officers trying to batter into her front door. And um, it was quite distressing. Was, she, was, she was screaming and they immediately called an ambulance. I think that she may have fainted or the young man arrested, came out um, peacefully. To see the raid, it's incredible to watch, actually. Our forces come together. It was, it was very bleary-eyed and very confused because there were also TV cameras there and he was wondering why he was being bled onto national TV at uh, five in the morning. We've had tons of protests. We've had the horrifying murder of Sarah Everard. We've had major reforms announced by Priti Patel. And we've also had the, the latest developments in the bullying allegations against her. For Matt Dathan, it's been a baptism of fire. I'm uh, the new Home Affairs editor at The Times. Since he began his job in February, the Home Affairs beat hasn't been short on drama, particularly when it comes to the Home Secretary, Priti Patel. One of the most urgent stories demanding attention is the government's new legislation on policing. The Police Crime Sentencing and Courts Bill is a very broad-ranging bill which covers a lot of reforms to, to a lot of parts of the criminal justice system. You might know of the bill from all the protests against it, particularly in Bristol. The context of all of this is the Extinction Rebellion and the Black Lives Matter and HS2 protests that have really kind of hit cities and closed down town centres, city centres. And it's an attempt by the government to really kind of stop these groups shutting down society. And they've been working on this uh, for, for months and months. And it, basically what it will do is give police a much broader range of powers in the management of static protests and basically bring static protests in line with marches and rallies. That means that they can impose time limits. So basic police would be able to shut down protests that went on, for example, for two weeks, which Central Rebellion did famously in central London. It also allows the police to impose conditions on maximum noise levels, which is hugely controversial as well, because, I mean, how can you really impose a noise level if there's a massive group of screaming protesters, for example. And it also lets the police sort of 
to define much easier to themselves what would cause unjustifiable disruption. So basically it gives quite a lot of ambiguity to police. It gives them a lot of sweeping powers to sort of define for themselves what would breach a static protest. The government argues it's specifically designed to stop groups like Extinction Rebellion deploying tactics such as those seen last autumn when they did manage to completely shut down a printing press in Hertfordshire. Or, for example, HS2 protesters are stopping the construction of what the government sees as a critical infrastructure. People who think those changes to the way we can protest are undemocratic have taken to the streets, despite lockdown. Kill the Bill protests have swept the country and much of the coverage has focused on violence. Two police officers are in hospital after hundreds of protesters clash with police in Bristol. Thousands have turned up at a rally against the police and crime bill, which includes plans to give officers more powers to control demonstrations. Protesters here holding banners concerned, they say, that the UK is becoming a police state. This does come at a particularly sensitive time. So, you know, you've you mentioned how some of those protests have been hijacked by sort of more radical elements, but... We did see just a couple of weeks ago in middle of London an awful lot of not-so-radical people, you know, women in particular, in a bit of a standoff with the police over the Sarah Everard vigil. It, it does seem like a moment where there is a unique tension between, you know, your average member of the public and the police. There was a sense that they were heavy-handed at the time. Absolutely. We're more than a year into lockdown. Talking to police officers, senior police officers last week, as well as members of the government SAGE committee that specifically advises on, on policing and security, they all said that we're really going to have a, a spring and a summer of protests. And what we saw in Bristol over the last few weeks is actually only the start of things to come. And, and they expect that the worst is yet to come. So as, as people come out of lockdown, warmer weather... People are frustrated at having uh, such tight restrictions on them. But then that also combines with a, a number of different um, societal kind of movements that I guess have been stifled in a way from expressing themselves. And all eyes will be on the police and how they use the powers that the government gives them. The new powers that the government are bringing in won't actually apply uh, until probably uh, later this year because it won't be until, I think, uh, July at the earliest that the bill gets royal assent. It's a very interesting question about how Pretty Patel comes into this because she likes to at moments like this take a sort of a, a step back and say look it's not for the home secretary quite rightly to tell the police how to manage individual protests that's very much an operational matter for the each individual police force but where Priti Patel has been very involved in the last year is where protests have gone wrong which is quite interesting it's all very well for her to say well I'm going to let the police um, deal with protests as they best see fit but we saw the, with the toppling of the Edward Colston statue in Bristol last year Priti Patel was very critical of Avon and Somerset police deciding not to intervene to stop the statue from being toppled and the same with the Met Commissioner in London in the wake of the Black Lives Matter protests. She was very critical there. So it seems like Priti Patel is quite happy to sort of take a step back and say, well, it's for you to decide how to manage a protest. You are the experts. You know the powers that you have. But then in, in, in hindsight, in, after, in the aftermath, she's very um, quick to uh, criticise. In terms of her speeches on crime, sort of the, the narrative she set for where she wants the country to be, how much do you think that's feeding into people's fears for police powers? That's a, that's a very interesting question. I think 
<laughs> you know, before the pandemic. Uh, I, mean, I think the, the way that we're going with policing is, is the pandemic has changed that fundamentally. Priti Patel came into the, the department as Home Secretary, vowing that she will make criminals, quote, literally feel terror at the thought of breaking the law. And we've kind of come into the era now where leaving your house as could have been interpreted as breaking the law. Mm. So the, 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 yeah, the relationship between a criminal and the rest of society has very much been blurred, hasn't it? She's seen as very kind of tough on law and order. I think the interaction with protests is, is, is one area where the lines are very much blurred. You know, if you go to a vigil, which is technically illegal and breaking coronavirus restrictions, should you really face the full force of the law? And I think that's where Priti Patel finds it very hard to, a very tricky path to, to walk because Technically, yes, it is breaking the law, and she's a, someone who's been very tough on law and order, uh, and yet, actually, it's just people who are desperate to voice their anger towards inaction in society. What makes Pretty Patel take such a hard line on law and order? To find out more about her view of the world, we're taking a closer look at her life before politics. It's a very interesting history, she was born in 1972 to Ugandan Indian parents. They emigrated to the UK in the 1960s. That was shortly before Idi Amin expelled Ugandan Asians from the country. You know, her paternal grandparents were born in the Gujarat region of India. That's the same state, actually, as the current Prime Minister, Narendra Modi. And her parents, when they arrived in Britain, they set up a chain of news agents. They ran one in Kampala in Uganda before. And very, very quickly, her father set up a series of news agents stretching from London to Norfolk. And Pretty Patel, as a young girl, was said to have, you know, grew up playing under the till, sitting in the trolley during trips to Cash and Curry and learning to, to love, you know, the country that had provided a home and a fertile ground for her parents' entrepreneurial um, efforts and, and ambitions. My parents, you know, came to the UK from East Africa. My father was actually studying in the UK. He was mm. doing a degree and he had to give all that up because of what happened in East Africa. His parents needed to come over, who was the eldest. I mean, the work ethic of my mum and dad, um, along with many others through that East African Indian community, was just phenomenal. That's a story familiar to many millions of Britons. Priti Patel's uh, immigrant experience, although not directly herself, led directly to her sort of classically conservative political instincts. And she said there was a desire to work hard and be successful so you don't have to rely on anybody else. Coming from a country where you're persecuted means that you want to work hard and to contribute to society where you end up, you become patriotic because you make your new country your home and as a result you live and play by its values. I've always had awareness about what it's like to grow up with very little but also strive through hard work, focus and determination. You can see why she was, a, therefore, quite a big fan of Margaret Thatcher. Tell me about that. She says, you know, still her political hero is Margaret Thatcher. And Margaret Thatcher was why she joined the Conservative Party, she said. And and obviously that coincided with the time when she was coming into her teenage years and off to university. She said of Thatcher that she had a unique ability to understand what made people tick, households tick and businesses tick, managing the economy, balancing the books and making decisions not purchasing things the country couldn't afford. That's the lesson I took from the very person who inspired me to join our party. A Conservative Prime Minister elected 40 years ago this year. Margaret Thatcher 
knew that if you... So Margaret Thatcher obviously had a very early effect on her and fitted in very well with her family and personal experience of growing up in, in Britain. Margaret Thatcher knew that if you made the British people your compass, if you took time to understand their lives and priorities, then your direction would always be true. Matt has followed the Home Secretary's career closely, but even if you're not a pretty Patel watcher, you probably still know that she has a reputation for being a bit gaff-prone. I think all politicians will have those moments. Like the time she read 334,974 at one of the daily COVID press briefings. But somehow, it came out like this. I can report through the government's ongoing monitoring and testing programme that as of 9am today, there have been 300,034, 974,000 tests carried out across the UK, excluding Northern Ireland. I mean, let's not forget David Cameron, the smooth operator that he was, who apparently forgot the football team that he supported. She mm. sometimes comes across as someone who's just very happy just to roll out and repeat a, a political slogan. And as a, I think as a mm. career press officer, that is something that she's very able to do and, and is very competent at, but I think she sometimes does struggle in the heat of the moment at the dispatch box, questioned at press conferences, which she doesn't actually do often, when um, she's asked tough questions. And there's quite a few people in the cabinet like that. Gavin Williamson is awful in public speaking, but he doesn't seem to get the same amount of attention that Priti Patel does. What do you think she represents for the Conservative Party? You know, she is quite a divisive character. She's hugely popular with some people and hugely unpopular with others. What element of politics is she able to represent? It's very clear what she represents in the Conservative Party, and I think that's why she is so divisive. And, and, and in, in 2012, she co-authored um, this book called Britannia Unchained, and it was you know, a free market pamphlet, 150-odd pages, laying out their sort of vision for, for Britain, I guess. And what's really interesting is, I don't know if you remember that picture of Boris Johnson's car just before he became Prime Minister, his private tattered car, with all kinds of clothes and rubbish strewn across the back seats. And one of the items... On, in that car was this book, Britannia Unchained. So you can see how much influence um, it has on the, the Prime Minister and his thinking. He's reading it in the car. <laughs> it has Pretty Patel's fingerprints all over it, you know. They talk about the um, UK's bloated state, high taxes, excessive regulation, and it also derided British workers as among the worst idlers in the world. Um, it said that we work among the lowest hours, we retire early, and our productivity is poor. It goes on to say, um, in contrast, Indian children aspire to be doctors or businessmen. Uh, the British are more interested in football and pop music. And the UK should stop wow. indulging in irrelevant debates about sharing the pie between manufacturing and services, the north and south, women and men. Doesn't sound like the modern levelling up agenda. <laughs> Absolutely not, no. And, you, and I think it's going to be a real... I mean, across the government, it's going to be really interesting when we come to Rishi Sunak unveiling the way we're going to have to pay for COVID. And I asked her this, actually, where she sits on the whole kind of, do we have to increase taxes to pay for the COVID bill or do we have to mm. return to austerity? You could see she was very uncomfortable. She, she's very good at sticking to the government line as a seasoned press officer. But you could see behind the mask, that um, literally behind the mask, that she was very uncomfortable with the idea of higher taxes. She's probably one of the toughest Home Secretaries on law and order we've, we've ever had uh, in modern times and someone who only recently ditched her support for the death penalty. 
I mean, that was another source of huge controversy. It's one of those often repeated clips. For any conviction, for example, you need ultimate burden of proof. You really do, and that means that... But that's his point, that they, that they find these mistakes all the time. Are you saying they, they were guilty, all these people? No, I'm not saying they were guilty. Obviously, I'm not. So not they would be cases. dead? No, the point... They would? Well, the point is, as I said earlier on, this is about having deterrence. You know, if you have strong deterrence, love that nature It's not a deterrent, well. killing the wrong people. Well, no. <laughs> I think it was in 2016, shortly after becoming International Development Secretary, she finally was forced to say that she no longer supported the death penalty. His position of international development sector is very difficult to support the death penalty when you're trying to... Yes, encourage other countries to get rid of it. Exactly. Tell us a bit about her time in the cabinet. I mean, going back firstly to her tenure as the international development secretary, I mean, it didn't seem like the sort of position she was necessarily best suited to. No, it was actually a department that she had wanted to scrap, actually. She saw her role there as trying to cut down on wasteful spending in the department. Even Priti Patel's supporters would admit that her tenure as International Development Secretary was something of a failure. It ended with her being summoned back from an official trip by a furious Prime Minister. As the world watched her plane land, knowing her future in the job would be... brief... Priti Patel announced her resignation over a controversy that involved a holiday in Israel. It was supposed to be a private family holiday to Israel, and some thought she was trying to raise potential funds for a leadership contest, she denied. Um, And in the space of just a few days, she met no fewer than 12 senior Israeli figures, including the Prime Minister, Benjamin Netanyahu. I mean, which family holiday honestly doesn't consist of a high-level meeting? Yeah, exactly, yeah. I mean, Israel might be the only place we can go to this summer, but I, I wouldn't want to, well, in my spare time, be meeting Benjamin Netanyahu. I'd love to for work. Priti Patel hadn't informed her own department, or even the Foreign Secretary, Boris Johnson back then, about her planned meetings. His department would have certainly blocked the meetings because they were unauthorised and a clear breach of the ministerial code. And there was, yeah, no question and no arguments really when she was duly sacked. I think it's fair to say I have accepted that. I apologise. There was no malice intended whatsoever at the time. And I, you know, left the government. So, why, that so is... why did you meet him? Well, he's somebody that I know. I've met him before. And I, well, had, the opportunity, I had the opportunity to meet him. Despite the scandal, and to the surprise of many... She was promoted back into the cabinet again as Home Secretary in July 2019. She'd been a big uh, vocal supporter of Boris Johnson as uh, the leader, and obviously that came with a big reward. Boris Johnson obviously wanted to try and appear like he was um, promoting women and uh, also promoting ethnic minorities in his cabinet, and she was obviously got one of the, the most senior positions in it. Boris Johnson's um, manifesto, six months later, was very very tough on crime. It vowed to create 20,000 extra police officers, create uh, thousands more prison places, um, toughen sentences for serious violent crimes, and stop the early automatic release of all kinds of serious prisoners from terrorists to, to those convicted of sexual assault. And I think Pity Patel embodied the law and order in the manifesto. Our new plan for immigration is driven by three fair but firm objectives. The asylum reforms that she has just announced last week is a major radical overhaul of the asylum process. First, to increase the fairness of our system so we can protect and support those in genuine need of asylum. Second, 
to deter illegal entry into the UK, breaking the business model of people smugglers and protecting the lives of those they endanger. We'll have more on this in just a moment. But if you'd like to access more remarkable stories and insightful analysis every day, then do subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times. Join today and get one month free. Search for thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I mean, you've covered various stories about her over the years. What's she like in person? Because certainly the public image is very, very divisive. Yes, you're right. I mean, I think anyone who who counts Margaret Thatcher as a hero voted for Brexit and once you know, supported the death penalty <laughs> will always be a divisive character in Controversial. society. Controversial. Controversial <laughs> yes. and divisive character. Absolutely. As a person that... You know, at drinks receptions, <laughs> at social events, she's a very charming and warm personality. But, you know, as you know, the history of working as a press officer and as a politician, your interaction with, with that kind of person as a journalist, you always have to, you know, obviously take that with a pinch of salt because a part of a politician and a press secretary's job is to appear charming. And, and that was David Cameron's forte, wasn't it? Behind the scenes, working in the office is something that I haven't seen. But we've all now had a glimpse of what office life might be like with Pretty Patel in charge. Lurid anecdotes about her bullying civil servants seized the national news agenda last year. Yeah, that's, that's right. I mean, it was, well, this time last year, wasn't it, when the permanent secretary of a department, Sir Philip Rutnam, dramatically resigned very publicly over what he described as a vicious and orchestrated campaign against him after he challenged the alleged mistreatment of civil servants by the Home Secretary herself. In the last 10 days, I have been the target of a vicious and orchestrated briefing campaign. It has been alleged that I have briefed the media against the Home Secretary. This, along with many other claims, 
is completely false. The Home Secretary categorically denied any involvement in this campaign to the Cabinet Office. I regret I do not believe her. Subsequent reports suggested she had a history of shouting in the office, belittling colleagues and making unreasonable demands that created a culture of fear. It was even alleged that a senior Home Office official had collapsed after being confronted by Priti Patel. Reports also emerged about her time as Employment Minister when an official in the Department of Work and Pensions received a £25,000 payout after claiming they'd been bullied by her. She was Employment Minister there in 2015, um, received a £25,000 payout after she allegedly was bullied by Patel. Uh, there was one report uh, that said Patel walked out of her office at w- one stage uh, in a furious rage and, and just shouted, uh, why is everyone so fucking useless? And then there was also another allegation where she was accused of humiliating civil servants in front of others uh, when she was a minister in the International Development Department in 2017. The allegations painted an alarming picture of Priti Patel's working style. Sir Philip Rutnam eventually received a £340,000 payout after he claimed unfair dismissal. The settlement, from taxpayers' money, will mean that Priti Patel won't have to face the employment tribunal. But there is a judicial review which might um, eke out more details of those allegations. A judicial review against the Prime Minister's decision not to sack her because he ruled that uh, she did not breach the ministerial code. He's the ultimate arbiter of the ministerial code and decided to keep her. Boris Johnson's decision to protect Priti Patel came despite an official Cabinet Office inquiry led by Sir Alex Allen found that she had unintentionally breached the ministerial code in her behaviour towards civil servants. Priti Patel kept her job, and in response, Sir Alex resigned. It sort of takes this thing out of their attacks on um, their ability to attack other people for breaking and breaching the ministerial code. It has stifled their attacks, for sure. But I think, actually, this comes to uh, a much sort of wider issue with the Conservative Party and... Uh, its approach to civil service, it plays into the wider cultural sort of war that they're having with um, with the establishment, not just the civil service, but the BBC and, and a lot of quangos that they're trying to sort of dismantle. Pretty Patel's supporters and allies say that she, she's the kind of person who civil servants and the establishment hate because she wants to really kind of radically change the civil service. And, and we go back to the pamphlet she wrote about, you know, she sees the civil service as too rigid and, and not being productive enough and not being willing enough to really kind of enact radical change. The whole bullying row between Rutner and Patel is a much bigger seismic issue about who governs Britain. Is it the establishment and the mandarins or is it the British people and their elected representatives? I mean, critics will definitely very much quickly point out that When it comes to bullying, regardless of what you're trying to do in government, you shouldn't be speaking to anyone, especially junior staff members, in the way that she was alleged to have spoken to them. But her supporters will say that she's just a hard-talking woman who, who wants to really kind of push through quite a radical agenda. In the months to come, one of the issues that will dominate the headlines is Priti Patel's proposed overhaul of the asylum system. 
this is an issue that I think will quite potentially sort of define Priti Patel's legacy at the Home Office if she's allowed to stay on beyond the summer reshuffle. The success of it will define her legacy and whether she might be successful enough to continue having a, a political career on the, on the political front line, I guess. It's a hugely controversial document she published last week, 50 pages long, outlining the biggest overhaul of asylum rules to, to, in Britain in about two decades since Tony Blair's time. The fundamental overarching principle is really the way in which you come to Britain as an asylum seeker will have a direct impact on your claim for asylum initially, how that application is processed, and then also on your permanent status, your final status in the UK. Much of the controversy has centred around so-called legal and illegal ways of entering the UK. In other words, if you come by boat or by lorry, you'll be further penalised by the system. Whereas if you come here through a safe and legal route, which Pretty Patel has um, pledged to expand those routes, if your application is successful, you'll be given permanent and definite leave to remain uh, when you arrive in the UK. So it's a real contrast. By controlling your borders, you can then choose which groups of people deserve to come here. That's what her, she believes. And and she's a great proponent of the BNO passport scheme. 2.9 million people in Hong Kong are eligible for this BNO passport. And under that uh, scheme, you can come here for five years to start with, under a five-year visa scheme, and then, and then apply for permanent residence. And that's in a similar kind of scheme she wants to open up for humanitarian uh, refugees fleeing places like Syria, Iraq, Iran, for example. But the success of these reforms will all depend on how generous these schemes are. They're very deliberately not putting a number on it, but also yeah, whether it really does offer a, a safe passage for people who need it. Because we, we know that it will definitely make it harder for asylum seekers from war zones, for example, to come here. It will make it harder to come here illegally. It, it's, it's, we have yet to see whether it will be harder to come here legally. I mean, there has already been controversy over that definition of legal and illegal. The Home Office is trying to crack down on smugglers, but at the same time, they're under international law. They're already in trouble over that because there is no such thing as an illegal way of arriving if you are seeking asylum. Yeah, exactly. And the point that a lot of charities and campaigners made last week was exactly that. A lot of people who are seeking asylum in the UK can only come here illegally. And the government will, will insist that even under the new system, you can still claim asylum in the UK if you come here legally. It's just that your status uh, here will be you know, regularly reassessed. You'll never get the same benefits. But you're right. I mean, people point out when someone is trying to flee persecution or flee a war zone, they don't have time to think, oh, I better pop down to the British Embassy to, to make sure my application's in and, and, and the like. They, they get out of the country as soon as possible. And that process is notoriously slow. I saw a bit of it in, in progress with Syrians during the war. It would take six months or something, and, and then they would only take about 10 people at a time which obviously for a, a war zone and people dying every day is quite difficult. Yeah, exactly. and that scheme for Syrian um, refugees over a five-year period only only let in 20,000 people and we only met that target uh, early this month. So the, the Home Office has got a, a lot of work on its hands to to convince people that the the new safe and legal routes that they promise are going to be generous and, as you say, accessible enough. This legislation will clearly sort of cement her reputation as somebody who's very strong on immigration and asylum, as well as sort of strong on, on law and order. What do you think she's hoping it'll lead to? What are her ambitions for the future? I, th I think, genuinely, she's just trying to get through 
the kind of the next hurdle in front of her. So they, they very much look at the police crime sentencing courts bill that's currently going through. It's a very big piece of legislation. They're obviously very focused on the asylum reforms, which they hope to start getting through Parliament from July. But uh, the truth is, they know that Priti Patel could well lose her job in the reshuffle that's being planned this summer. If she gets through the reshuffle, then I think the focus is basically on forming a legacy there at the Home Office that will be able to define Priti Patel. And then th th that will then lead to whatever it leads to in their eyes. As we renew our place as the party of law and order in Britain, let the message go out from this hall today. To the British people, we hear you. To the police service, we back you. And to the criminals, I simply say this. We are coming after you. Ultimately, is it the Tory leadership? Is it number 10 that Priti Patel has in her sights? I don't think Boris Johnson is going anywhere anytime soon, but she's obviously someone who's very ambitious. And with a hero like Margaret Thatcher, you know, you'd think her eyes would be on the top job. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times, with me, Manveen Rana, and my guest, Home Affairs Editor at The Times, Matt Dathan. You can read more of Matt's work at thetimes.co.uk or in print. The producer today was Leona Hamid. The executive producer is Poppy Damon, and sound design was by Carla Patella. If there's a story that you'd like us to look into, or if you have any thoughts on what you've just heard, or if you want to tell us about your experience of lockdown, did anything extraordinary happen? Has it changed your life? Then please do send us an email to storiesofourtimes at thetimes.co.uk. See you tomorrow. Subscribe today and get one month free at thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. 